Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here on this night. I thank you that we can study your word. And I do ask that you would, Lord, um, just help us right now to take in uh, this heavenly scene. And we are so blessed to know that we will be in this scene, that we will stand before the throne and that heaven is real. And so, Father, I thank you for, um, Lord, the promise that we have of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain. And so, Lord, help us be attentive and, and help us to, um, Lord, just uh, have your word touch our heart in a very deep way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in Revelation chapter 5, we see that heavenly scene. And what an incredible study has been in the book of Revelation so far. As you recall that John, at the end of the first century, he's the last of the living apostles that is on this scene. It is uh, Peter and Paul that had been already executed by the orders of Caesar Nero some 30 years before this, uh, this vision is given to John. Uh, John is an elderly man, and he's going through, and the Christians, uh, a wave of persecution by the hands of Domitian, who was the emperor at the end of the first century. And Domitian hated the Christians. And he was very cruel and systematic in his persecution against them. If you did not bow the knee to Domitian and claim that he is Lord, then you would be put to death. You would be put in prison. You would be banished, perhaps, to this rock and, rocky island, Patmos. It was an island that, for prisoners and exiles. And John, of course, would be exiled to this island. And we know that in chapter 1 that John, as he says, that I'm your brother and your companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos. This is a rocky, barren island, uh, very dry, very cold in the wintertime. And I was on that island for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I want to remind us once again that as Christians, that we will go through persecution. Matter of fact, we are told that, as Paul would write to Timothy, that Timothy, that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And I believe that as we get closer to the return of the Lord, that, that we don't experience in, in this country the persecution like in other parts of the world, but it could get worse as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And we know that the, the atmosphere of our culture and our society in our nation is turning more against the Lord and against Christians, and we very well could see an increase of that. So here John, he's saying that I'm your brother, your companion in tribulation and being uh, persecuted for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day when I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. So John turns and he sees the glorified Lord and he gives a, a description of the glorified Jesus. And, and then John is told to write these uh, letters as he is writing down. He's actually taking dictation 
to the letters that Jesus, as he's standing in the midst of seven lampstands, those represented the seven churches of proconsular Asia that existed at that time in the first century. And so Jesus begins to address those churches, and John's writing it down. And we know in chapters 2 and 3 that John begins to write those things uh, which are the church age, the church things. And Jesus would commend those churches on the things that they were doing right and uh, in the sight of the Lord. He would rebuke them and correct them in the things that they needed to repent of. And then he would give an eternal promise to them. And it was such a rich study as we went through those seven churches in chapters two and three, because we can make application for our own lives and certainly for this church, Calvary Chapel. But then after these things, metatata in the Greek, the third part of the book of Revelation, which is a vast majority of the book from chapters 4 to chapter 22, is all future. And as we, a few weeks ago, opened up chapter 4, all of a sudden we have this heavenly scene that continues in chapter 5, where he says that after these things, what things? After the church age, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven in verse 1 of chapter 4. And the first voice I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, come up here and I will show you things which must take place, metatata, after these things. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold one who sat in uh, a throne set in heaven and one who sat on that throne. So he's taken into heaven and John, as he gives, gives this vision to us of the one who sat on the throne in chapter 4. He would then tell us about what was going on around the throne. There was 24 lesser thrones, the 24 elders that sat on those thrones. And we will see these elders being mentioned here in chapter 5 and also throughout the book of Revelation in, in different places. And then also the four living creatures, the cherubim. And, and they had four different uh, likeness, like the one was a, like a lion, the other one like a, uh, a calf, the third one like the face of a man, the fourth one was like a flying eagle. And they had eyes all over them and six wings. And they rest not day and night, crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was who is, who is to come. And and then we saw that those uh, 20 and four elders would fall down before the throne. They would cast their crowns before the Lord and they would say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Or in other words, the King James translated that they were created for your good pleasures. You and I were created for God's good pleasures. So this heavenly scene that's pretty incredible and I want to review it to to you because get familiar with it because you and I are going to stand before the throne. And we are going to be in this heavenly scene. And heaven is real. And I am so thankful that we have the promise of heaven that is given to us. And that one day, as we will stand before the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 declares to us, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. And then we also know that Jude, that little epistle before the book of Revelation, tells us, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, who will present you faultless before his presence with 
exceeding joy. So you and I are going to be presented before the throne, and the Son and the Father are going to rejoice over you and me. You know, it, they're going to rejoice with exceeding joy is what Jude tells us. And so it's so incredible to know that we have an eternal promise and heaven is real. So here is this, this scene. We, we saw the things that proceeded from the throne and, and the things around the throne. But then all of a sudden in chapter 5 last time, as this heavenly scene continues, there's all of a sudden this drama before the throne. And what we saw as we covered the first five verses last time is that there is this seven-sealed scroll that is in the hand uh, of the one who's on the throne. And verse 2, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal? And no one in heaven, verse 3, or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, John writes, because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. So what was this scroll? And what we did is we identified it as perhaps indeed it is the title deed to the earth. In other words, when Adam was created, the Lord said, Adam, have dominion over the earth. But when Adam sinned, uh, he, he lost that. And sin and death came into the world. We have seen that and read that in Romans chapter 5, that through Adam, when he sinned, then sin and death came to all of us. And now Satan uh, the, the, has become the God, little g, of this world, the scripture says. So the, he, he lost dominion, and the title deed, if you were, was transferred over to Satan, who was the uh, prince of the power of the air. And you might recall that in Luke chapter 4, in Matthew chapter 4, in the temptation of Jesus, that what you have there is Satan taking Jesus up on a high mountain, and he's able to see all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said that all these kingdoms are yours if you bow down and worship me. Now, Jesus didn't dispute that it was Satan's to give. Satan says, all of this is yours. The whole world is yours if you bow down and you worship me. And Jesus didn't dispute that. And again, I used the example, if I took you up on Long's Peak and said, look out all, you know, what you can see. It's all yours if you bow down to me. You would laugh at me. It's not mine to give. But Satan was in that great boast that he gave that if you worship me, I'll give it to you. So Jesus went to the cross, our kinsman redeemer, and we talked about all that and, and, uh, and discussed it quite in detail. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that study if you haven't done that. And all of a sudden, John is weeping as we read. Why is he weeping? Because if the title deed is kept in the hands of the prince of the power of the air, of the God of this world, then we have no hope of redemption. Uh, and we know that there's now a solution that is given to us as we continue through the chapter here, let's begin to read in verse 5. But one of the others said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So we know that this is a reference to Jesus. And as I said, when we opened up the book of Revelation, that the book of Revelation has many, many references to the Old Testament. So as we read this, we know that as we have the, the um, one elder who said to John, don't weep, there's hope. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah, 
We know that that's a reference to Jesus, don't we? Because we can go back to Genesis chapter 49, verses 9 and 10. When Jacob was at the end of his life, he prophesied over his sons, and he gave this messianic prophecy to his son Judah. So we know that, that Jesus coming from the tribe of Judah, that this is a reference to him, and then the root of David has prevailed. And you can go back to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Uh, it's a reference to that. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 6, verse 12, for those of you who li like to jot down notes. And you know that it's speaking of Jesus. So he is the one that is prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked in verse 6, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So as John is weeping, he's told not to, uh, that this one, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, titles to Jesus, I looked and behold, and perhaps he's expecting to see a lion, but in the midst of the throne, in the four living creatures, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Jesus turns and he sees, of course, Jesus. And, and the word here used that, that of lamb speaks of a little lamb, a delicate lamb. And John says that this lamb was a lamb as though it had been slain, which indicates to me that John sees Jesus still bearing the marks, the scars of the cross and the sufferings that he went through for you and for me. It has been suggested that Jesus will bear the marks and the scars of his sufferings in heaven. And could it be that our first view of Jesus is going to be seeing him as the lamb that was slain? I don't know. It's interesting in chapter 1, John has that vision of what? The glorified Jesus in, in all his glory. Here in this heavenly scene, he sees Jesus as the lamb that had been slain. So could it be to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, when we meet the Lord, that it may be a little bit shocking to us because we're going to see him as the lamb that was slain and looking at the face of Jesus, one who is perfect in beauty and glory and in righteousness and holiness. John seeing him in all his glorified state, it overwhelmed him. But here he sees him as the lamb that was slain. And we know that Jesus went through tremendous sufferings for you and for me as he would redeem the world back to himself. Remember that in the parable kingdoms that it was Jesus that would say that the kingdom of God is like a man who found a, a, a treasure in the field and he gave all that he had to buy the field to take the treasure out. And in those parable kingdoms that, uh, that he's talking about uh, in Matthew chapter 13, he identifies the field as the world. Jesus redeemed the world to himself. He has taken what is rightfully his. He's our kinsman redeemer as he's redeemed us back to himself. But he didn't redeem the world so he can have another plan planet. He redeemed the world so he can have you and me, the treasure. And you are a treasure to the Lord. And Jesus, the Son of God, who went through such sufferings and, and his body broken, and we know that Isaiah speaks of that, marred more than any other man, Isaiah says. And he would have his beard that was plucked out. 
We know that they beat him, the religious leaders. We know that the Romans took him and, and scourged him with that cat of nine tails. They pounded a crown of thorns around his head. He was beaten by the Romans to where the point when Jesus stood before the crowd that was crying out, crucify him, that it was Pilate that said, behold, look at him. Behold the man. He's unrecognizable. As many as looked upon him were astonished. They were shocked. His face so marred. You couldn't recognize him as a human being. He was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, as Isaiah 53 says. And it was, you know, all for you and for me. He was wounded for our transgression, Isaiah says. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the wounds that he bears, he suffered for your redemption. He suffered for our salvation and forgiveness. And could it be the only man-made thing in heaven will be the scars that Jesus bears? We see it here in this heavenly scene. And it includes this, this image here in verse 6, seven horns and seven eyes, as we read. Eyes suggest knowledge and wisdom. Horn uh, in the scripture, when you read it, suggests power. So the lamb is the picture of all knowledge and wisdom and power. And then we see this relationship between God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of God, being sent out into all the world. In verse 7, then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So Jesus is the only one, listen, that is worthy and able to redeem you and me. That's why he bears those marks. To prove his qualifications for redeeming us. No one else can say that they have redeemed you. And as we talk to others, sometimes people will challenge us. And I think that challenge is increasing more and more in the day in which we're living in, how can you Christians say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? How can you say that? That's not very nice. You know, that's not very tolerant. You're being exclusive. What about the person who believes in another religion or believes in another God? How can you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, first of all, he's the one that claimed that. He's the one that said that I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say he was a truth. He said, I am the truth, definite article. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we see that Jesus would say that if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And the way for you and I to minister to others, and as we answered them, we can say, well, this is what Jesus did for you and for me. There's a sin problem. And that's why the book of Romans has been so important for us to understand uh, the theme of the book of Romans, the gospel. All of us have need of the gospel because we have sin, right? And sin has separated us from God. And the wages of sin is death. And the greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin. And Jesus is the only one who came and died for your sins. He came to take care of the sin problem. That's why I think it's such a, a tragic thing to hear a trend in the church. Perhaps those who try to be trendy or seeker sensitive, we're not going to mention the word sin and, you know, we don't want to do that. And we got to know we're sinners, every single one of us that need to be forgiven. And Jesus uniquely went to the cross to die for you, to die for me specifically and bore our sins upon himself. 
became the propitiation, right? John, or uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, that we are justified freely by his grace through the propitiation uh, that came through Jesus Christ, the satisfaction for sinful humanity. Jesus satisfies the payment, and, and he took the death for you and for me, for me. No other religious leader did that. Not Confucius, not Muhammad, not Buddha, no spiritual guru, no spiritual leader. Only Jesus went and died for you and for me on the cross. And then he cried out, it is finished. And only Jesus rose from the grave. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem proving that Jesus is the Son of God validating what he did on the cross at Calvary. So we can get people to think, hey, that Christianity is unique. Jesus is unique in that he died for you. No one else did. He rose from the grave. Every other religious leader is still in their tomb. Only Jesus conquered sin and death, proving that he's the son of God and is at the right hand of the Father and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when the kingdom of God is established, it will be Jesus that will be sitting on the throne, not Confucius, not Muhammad, not Buddha or any other religious leader. Jesus Christ, his name is exalted above every other name and that every knee shall bow to him, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So we need to proclaim that and stand on that and, and speak that in, in love and speak truth to others as he's the Lamb of God who redeemed us and has redeemed you. If you'll come in faith, that you will be forgiven. You will have the hope of eternal life and right relationship with the Father. So in verse 8, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saint. You know, one of the things that I, I wanted to mention in verse 6 be, before we move on to verse 8 here is here's a lamb that's in the midst here uh, of this scene, of the 24 elders. And we're going to see this, this new song, and we're going to identify who that is. But that caught my attention this afternoon because in chapter 1, we see that G Jesus is standing in the midst, right, of the seven lampstands, which are the church. And the church is important to Jesus. You see, sometimes people say, I'm not going to go to church. Church isn't important. I don't need to go to church. I'm just going to, you know, go out and meditate. You can go out and do that or go up in the woods and, you know, that's my church. That's fine. That's okay. But the church is important to Jesus. And Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, especially as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of the Lord. Do we see the day approaching? You better believe we see the day approaching. And so we are to be together and not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And that's a commandment that's given to us in Hebrews chapter 10. So we don't want to say, well, the church, you know, the church is this and that. Listen, the church is important to Jesus. He is the head of the church. He's the cornerstone of the church. He stands in the midst of the church. And we see him in this heavenly scene. He's standing in the midst uh, of this new song that's going to be sung by the church. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But Jesus also would say, where two and three are gathered, that he's in the midst. He's here tonight with us. He's in this place, and he's very pleased that we're here studying the word, that we, we, that we are worshiping him. 
And where two or three are gathered, he's in the midst. When you're praying with a brother, when you're with a, you know, uh, a family you have over and you're fellowshipping and talking about the things of the Lord, he's there in the midst. But what I hope and pray is this, that he would be in the midst of our lives every single day and every decision that we make. That he's in the midst of how we conduct ourselves. That he's in the midst of every decision that we make. You see, I don't want to live my life to where, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing and make my own decisions and not seek the Lord. I want the Lord to be in the midst of every area, every day, every decision, you know, every action of my life. I want him in the midst of that. And I want to be that living sacrifice that pleases the Lord. So here's the Lord. He's in the midst of this scene here. He takes the seven seal scroll out of the hand of God the Father. He's going to open these scrolls. But as we read in, in uh, verse 8, as he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 20 and four elders, as the King James reads, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So when Jesus takes the scroll, the immediate response is the angelic creatures uh, that we identified as cherubim and the 24 elders begin to, to uh, worship the lamb. And, and it pleases the Lord when we worship him. We're going to worship him for all eternity in heaven. And the 24 elders, remember that we talked about them in chapter 4, uh, we don't know exactly who they are, but they could be representative of all who are saved. We talked about David in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and 25. When he was preparing for the temple, that he selected 24 representatives from the priests, because there was a lot of priests at that time. They couldn't all fit into the temple. But they would have 24 representatives from the priests and the sons of Asaph to serve in the temple. So it could be that the 24 elders, some have suggested, could be the 12 patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel and then the 12 apostles. Jesus did tell the uh, disciples, the apostles, that they would be sitting on, the, on thrones and be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So it could be representative of all those who are believers, but it also could be representative of the church. And, and we'll talk about that, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. But these 24 elders each have a harp, and this is where people get the idea of a picture of us you know, floating around on the cloud uh, in heaven carrying harps, and we got wings, you know, the Hollywood version. And usually in those Hollywood versions, the people are bored, and they're going, oh, I wish, you know, I could go down back to earth and, um, you know, do what I was doing or make things right or go back to high school. I don't know. You know, you've seen those movies. Listen, heaven is not going to be boring. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud or, you know, uh, with a harp all bored and stuff. Paul, when he, in 2 Corinthians, says, I know a man that was caught up in the third heaven. And he's speaking of himself. And I saw things that were, you know, unlawful for me to utter. You know, words couldn't describe it. It was so incredible. Paul says it's unlawful. Absolutely incredible. So glorious. 
Here John, that he is, he is given this description of the one who sits on the throne and the different colors and the lightnings and thunders and all of this, the best that he knows how, but it's going to be absolutely incredible when we go to heaven. And the thing is, we're going to be with the Lord and when Jesus comes back to the earth to establish his kingdom in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, we are going to come back with him. And we're going to rule and reign with him, as we're going to read about here in just a minute. And, and we're going to be given responsibilities. And that's why it's important for us to pay attention to those parables that Jesus told. The parable of the minas, the parables of the, uh, of the talents that we are to be good stewards of what has been entrusted to us because we're going to be given rewards. We're going to be given responsibilities in the kingdom. What does that exactly mean? I don't know, but I'm looking forward to it. And I do know this. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud all bored playing a harp. We're going to rule and reign with him. That's our future. This is our future, the heavenly scene. And I believe that the Lord can come for us at any time in the rapture of the church. And we go home to be with the Lord. Chapters 4 and 5, this heavenly scene. And we're going to be singing this new song. And it's going to be absolutely incredible. Then in chapter 6, the scene turns back to the earth where we see the seven seals begin to be opened up. And chapter 6 through chapter 18 is that seven-year period called the tribulation period where all of a sudden everything is culminating to the second return of Jesus Christ in chapter 19. You and I have a wonderful future. It's going to be absolutely incredible. But in this scene here, as we see that uh, there are the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. In the Old Testament, the priest went into the holy place each day, and he would carry a little earthen bowl, and he would have incense in the earthen bowl. And he would walk past the altar where the sacrifices were done. And he would take a coal from the altar, put it in the bowl. It would burn the incense, and he would go into the tabernacle. The smoke would begin to rise as he would uh, wave this golden bowl before the altar of incense, which is right before the veil. Behind the veil, of course, was the Holy of Holies. And it represented the prayers of the people. And the scripture refers to our prayers ascending to heaven as sweet incense before God. Matter of fact, we know that in the Psalms, David writes about our prayers being heard before the Lord. And even the tears that we shed are in a bottle. The Lord knows every tear that you shed. He hears your prayers. And we can be thankful for that. Your prayers are important to God. They're like sweet incense before him. They don't just bounce off the ceiling. And it's glorious to know that the true and the living God, our prayers go before the throne of God. In Psalm 141, verse 2, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of, up of my hands as the evening. And the Lord loves hearing our prayers. It was Jesus, remember we talked about on Sunday, he said, men ought to always pray and not lose faint. That he told his disciples, be praying lest you fall into temptation. Jesus said, pray, please pray that your joy may be full. And we know that Paul, when he was writing to the Philippian believers, and it's a word for us, he said, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which 
surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So we have opportunities to come and to pray to the Lord. And that's one of the lessons that we're going to be teaching the kids in Vacation Bible School in Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13, that God, he has, you know, a plan for you. He's your future. He loves you and he can be found by you and he will hear you as you call out to him. So many, many references that we know that the Lord loves it when we come and pray to him. And so the golden bowls of incense represents the prayers of all the saints, not just one. And, and I remind you of that because it pleases God when we come together as a church and we pray. I hope that Calvary Chapel is not only a place where we come and we study God's word, and that's a priority, but this is a house of prayer. When Jesus was cleansing the temple right before his crucifixion, he drove out the money changers, overturned their tables, and he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. I hope and pray that we can say this is a house of prayer. There are so many ministries that are a den of thieves that are ripping the people off. But may we come together and really prayer is a priority, especially in the day in which we're living in, praying for one another, praying for our children, praying for, you know, the marriages in this fellowship, praying for families. There's so much prayer that is to be given to the Lord and he desires for us. So many prayer needs. I, I'm so thankful that so many of you are on the prayer chain and those prayer requests come in constantly and, and it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to pray for people. You know, somebody once said that you can tell how popular church is uh, by who comes on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular the pastor is by who comes on Sunday night. And you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to prayer times. And I don't know if that's exactly true, but I think that all of us, and even as we ended on Sunday, that we're to continue steadfastly in prayer, Paul says. I think all of us, that, that we can say, you know, I neglect that sometimes, or it doesn't become a priority like it should. And I know that I can say that for my own life. And God wants us to pray and, and, and to continue steadfastly in prayer. We're to do that. And it's like sweet-smelling incense to him. So it's critical and extremely important that, that we pray and that we understand we have the privilege to be able to do that. And in verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. A couple things to mention about this. All of a sudden, there's this new song that is being sung. And you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. That speaks of Jesus, right? That's obvious. Out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Now, the discussion and the debate is who exactly is saying this song, singing this song. We know that the elders are. But as you read it, have redeemed us to God out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's not the song of the angels. The angels are going to have a song later on. The angels haven't been redeemed. They weren't made in the image of God. You and I were. 
Jesus didn't come to redeem angels. He came to redeem you and me. I believe that this is the church. This isn't the song of Israel because it's out of every tribe, tongues, people, and nation. The gospel is for every generation, for all of man, every, every nation. And, and this is the church, I believe, that is singing this. Now, there's a debate because there are those, and perhaps you might have a Bible that says, well, that's not the correct translation. There are those who come along, and in the NIV, believe I re it reads, that you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So it's them. So maybe it's the angels speaking of, of them, and, and this isn't the church. And there's all this debate about what's the correct translation. Listen. When it comes to Bible translation, manuscripts, ancient manuscripts, those are kind of two different things. I am not an expert on it, but I do do a little reading on it. And in Revelation chapter 5, with the ancient manuscripts, there's almost a hundred of them in, in Greek. And those are the real important ones. And there are those who come along and say, out of the almost hundred ancient Greek manuscripts, only 23 have the translation that you have made us a kingdom of priests. You know, you have uh, redeemed us to God by your blood of every tribe, tongues, people, and nation. And they say, see, it shouldn't be translated us. And they have all this argument. But, but here's the thing. And again, I'm just a simple Bible teacher. But when somebody says that, and, and you always have the argument either going to the more older manuscripts or the ones that aren't quite as old, but there's a whole lot more of those manuscripts. But in the ancient Greek manuscripts, what I have read, there's only 24 that have the Revelation chapter 5. And out of 24 of them, 23 have it translated us. So I think that there's good, good evidence that it reads, the correct translation is that you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. This is the church singing this. Plus, again, just being a simple Bible teacher, remember I said that let Scripture interpret Scripture in chapter 1 that it was John that said, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, in verse 5, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his own God, uh, to his God and Father. There you see the same words. So I have no problem that this is being sung here, that this is the church. And if it is the church, that perhaps the 24 elders are representative of the church. So Jesus here is, is worthy to loose the seals. That's good news. He was the perfect Lamb of God who redeemed the world, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood. And he has redeemed us. And interesting, he says he's made us kings and priests to our God. Or he's made us, you know, a, a kingdom of priests to our God. And we know that Peter would write in his epistle that your chosen generation concerning us as believers we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, we are a royal priesthood. And as a priest, we've already talked about this, that the main responsibilities that we have as a priest 
In the Old Testament, it was represent the people to God. That is, what you are to do is you're to pray for people. Represent the people to God. Pray for them. Lift them up before the Lord. Lord, I pray for them. Lord, I want to intercede. Lord, touch their hearts. Open their eyes. And then second of all, that the priests were to represent God to the people. So I want to ask us all this question. Do you represent God to the people? In how you live, the words that you speak, in your conduct, in your behavior, in your faith, in your purity? Or do people look at you, do they look at me and say, you're no different than the world? I hope and pray that we represent God to the people and they say that I can see the reality of Jesus Christ in your life and how you live and how you love and what you say and that you're trusting the Lord. And then it touches their hearts. But I also, I, I want to give us a little bit of, hopefully this will help because we're going to be entering into an election year here. And it's already getting nasty, isn't it? And we're, it's just beginning. I can't imagine what is it going to be like a year from now. And it's probably going to drive us all crazy, isn't it? But we're interested in those things. We get concerned. I, and I watch those things just like you do. And as we go into Ro Romans chapter 13 in a couple weeks, that Paul then begins to tell us how it is that we are to respond as citizens and, and our responsibility, how we're to live, that we're to be subject to the governing authorities, that they have been ordained by God. And we can read that. Sometimes it's a little hard to swallow, isn't it? But... The Lord, that he ordained nations. The Lord is the one that we see it all through generation, uh, Genesis. And when you go to the book of Daniel, nations playing a big role. And when you go to the book of Daniel, the forerunner to the book of Revelation, that chapter 2 is the foundation of Bible prophecy. And in that vision, Daniel's talking about the, the empires that would come on the scene, Gentile empires, from the time of Daniel to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we read the prophecies, how nations are going to play a role in the last days. Oh, I wish we could get in more into it. But that's why we're watching Israel. Israel being the epicenter of Bible prophecy. Those nations that are mentioned that are going to be on the scene, that are going to play an important role in end time events. We see all of this happening, and then we look at our own nation that's not mentioned in end-time prophecy. That concerns me, and I wonder why. I, I don't know why, but it does concern me. And I get concerned about the direction of our nation, and I get concerned about you know, policies that are being spoke of, just like you do, any of us do. But here's the thing for you and I to remember as we get closer to 2020 in election day, you and I belong to a holy nation. Amen? And he's on the throne. And that's the only thing that will keep me from my head bursting as I look at all this stuff. <laughs> that I belong to a holy nation. And that's where I want to encourage you. And we are citizens of heaven that will last forever. And then he will establish his kingdom. He's on the throne. And just as the people in the first century going through persecution needed to know that, you and I need to know that today. That we belong to a holy nation that's going to be established forever. And that brings comfort to me, and I hope it does to you as well. 
And then I looked and I heard, verse 11, the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So the song of the angels, 10,000 times 10,000, I think that's 100 million if I'm doing my math right, and thousands and thousands, that's what it's speaking of in the Greek, innumerable company of angels. They do not offer praise for their redemption because Jesus redeemed man, as I said. But they see the greatness of God's work in redeeming, you know. So the response is in breaking out in praise, in honor and glory and blessing. And then in verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever, the song of creation worshiping the Creator. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. God is eternal. We will be with him in eternity. Remember, this is our future. It's a glimpse of what we will be doing someday. So I would encourage you in verse 9 and 10 that you know that new song. Okay, so when we get up there, you're not lost. You have it memorized. You can just go ahead and just start singing it. We're all going to sing it together. And uh, you have redeemed us. Every tribe, tongues, people, and nation, by your blood. What a glorious song we're going to sing. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And we're going to have dinner with the Lord, and then we will come back with him after chapters 6 through 18 are over. But we're going to go over those chapters as the see now is going to switch to the earth as those seven seals begin to be opened up. Very important for us to know, and I want you to know this, that chapter 6 through 18 is not given to us, so it will scare us. There's some heavy things that we're going to see. There's some really heavy things. And it is written for you and for me so we can understand this, that this world is not getting more rosy and cheery, and this world's going to be our hope that this world is going to end in a very disastrous way. Jesus said that if the Father had not cut the day short, man would have destroyed himself. We're going to see tribulations such as the world has never seen or ever will see again is what Jesus said. And that's why we want to be about the kingdom business and giving the gospel to others and praying for those around us that don't know the Lord to share with them. Because this is real. John, write these things down that must shortly take place. Not that they might, but they must. We're in the day of grace. But I believe the Lord's going to come for his church. And after he comes for his church, then this final seven-year period, chapter 6 through 18, is going to take place on the earth. We're going to be in the heavenly scene of chapter 5. And tribulation will come upon those that are on the earth, and it's going to be terrible. Oh, there's going to be hope. There's going to be a multitude, tribulation saints that we'll read about. But it's going to be very, very difficult. So, Father, we thank you for these words and this heavenly scene. I pray it warms our hearts. And, and I hope and pray that it stirs our hearts to where we understand that eternity is real. 
and that you're on the throne. And Jesus came to this world to redeem us because of his love for us. Oh, Lord, I thank you that we have such a wonderful future. I know that there are those who are going through difficulties and tribulations and sorrow right now. And Lord, I just pray for your comfort upon them and that you would bring strength to them and wisdom, provision. And Lord, but help us to keep our eyes on eternity. And I want to pray if there's anyone listening to this message that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, that he is your salvation. You've heard the gospel tonight that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins because your need is to be forgiven and he's provided forgiveness. And he died on that cross to redeem you, to purchase you, not with silver and gold. All the money in the world can do that, only the precious blood of the lamb. And he rose again, and he's at the right hand of the Father, and he says, come. Call upon him. Believe in him. Will you do that right now? Praying, Jesus, I come, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I know that I have sinned. And I thank you for dying for me. Forgive me. I believe you're alive, speaking to my heart, and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you. And, and I want you to be in the midst of every day of my life and everything that I do, every area of my life, to know you, to walk with you. And I thank you for this new beginning and saving me and for the hope of eternal life. In Jesus' name. And if you're here and you prayed that prayer, we have a prayer team and up front as we close here in a minute. Come up and tell them the decision you made. But for all of us, Lord, the time is short. We have a wonderful future, but Lord, we want to, as a kingdom of priests, we want to represent you. We're your ambassadors to others. I want to pray for others, minister to them, serve them, love them, that they may see that you're real. And Lord, sometimes that's hard. Even on Sundays, we're going to read that we're to bless those who curse us. But Lord, only it's a work that you can do. We can't do it on our own. But Lord, help us. Be the men and women that you've called us to be. And I thank you that one day we will all be together singing this new song. So Lord, may our hearts be warmed as we leave. And I do pray for those this, this weekend who will be traveling, that you bless their time away. And that we would always include you in those times because our true rest is in you and refreshment. Lord, I pray for all the graduates. We've got some here in this church that are graduating this weekend. Bless them and say start this new chapter of their lives. That they would look to you to lead and guide them in every way. So Lord, I thank you for this church family. That we can gather knowing that you're in the midst. 
that we can pray and it's important to you and seek you and you desire to do marvelous work in our lives individually in our families and in this church family so may we be yielded to you bless everyone here now as we go our way in Jesus name Amen <laughs>